And I called her and I said, hey, what's the slowest night? And she said, well, Tuesday. I said, we're going to fill your bar and sell some drinks on Tuesday. Yeah, good pitch. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in this week. Super stoked about this episode. It's a conversation with Mark Moss, creator and host of Tell Us Something. This live storytelling event has been such an important addition to the Missoula community. Today, we learn more about Mark's story, what he thinks makes for a good story, and where he thinks Tell Us Something is going. I had a great time with Mark and I'm excited to bring you our conversation right now. Okay, so we're here today with Mark Moss. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. You bet, Justin. It's good to be here. So you are the creator and host of the now just, I don't want to use the word infamous, but like it's such an awesome thing. Tell us something here in Missoula and beyond, and we're going to talk about that today. So just really excited to have you in studio. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm stoked. To, I have never been a guest on a podcast. You haven't been a guest, but you have your own podcast. That's true. Yeah. Interesting. Well... First time for everything, yeah. and we're lucky to have you here at Studio 49. You're sipping some drum coffee, and uh, yeah, we're, we're starting off the afternoon right here. So um, first of all, for listeners that don't know, what is Tell Us Something? Tell Us Something, the magic of Tell Us Something happens at the live events. As you said, there's a podcast, but the live events are really where it's at. It's right. live storytelling. So eight people have 10 minutes to share a true personal story from memory on a theme, and we pull people from the community that we're in. So we do it four times a year here in Missoula, and it happens at the Wilma. And so we, we just get regular everyday citizens from Missoula, and they call a pitch line, and that number is 406-203-4683. And the next event is June 12th. The theme is, what are the chances? And we're taking pitches right now for that event. So I give that little speech to people sure. when I'm looking for folks and we got one in Helena coming up on May 9th and that's at the Myrna Loy and the theme there is getting away with it and I, I generally for themes uh, I sort of crowdsource that yeah people come up to me and say you know what would be a great theme uh, baseball we should do one about baseball I'm like eh, that's really general but okay I'll write it down and I put it in a spreadsheet sure and I've got hundreds of themes that people have suggested and then towards the end of the year I throw those out on social media to say hey vote for your favorite one mm-hmm. and usually I pick you know not all 400 but I pick 20 or so and people vote on the ones they want and excuse me and then I say hey those are the ones for next year right here we go now kind of I mean you paint a picture of a, of a very sort of developed professional operation, which it absolutely is, uh, and you're selling out the Wilma every quarter, but it didn't start that way. Let's no. talk about the genesis of this th- this idea. Where did it come from? And actually, before we even get into that, I mean, how did you find Missoula? You've sort of become this Missoula institution in a way, just a key member of this community, yet how did you arrive here, and what's your story? Well, I w- am... Originally from the Akron area of Ohio, my dad and his dad built tires in the rubber shops there, and he, my dad went on to become a cop. And you know, I don't know if you know anything about Akron, but it's a pretty gritty. It's gritty, city. yeah, blue collar. Yeah, and I grew up in a town is just where outside. Where LeBron of, is from Akron. LeBron James is from yeah. Akron. He does great things for that community. Yeah. I went to Saint Vincent Saint Mary High School for okay. just two years, uh, but that's where he graduated and. I stopped going there when I realized that the money that I'm spending, because I was spending my own money to go to high school, mm-hmm. the money that I'm spending would be better spent at college. So so I went to the public high school in my town, Cuyahoga Falls. Sure. And then on to Kent State, right? That's right. Kent State University. I uh, graduated in 1995 with a BS in education and uh, got divorced from my then wife and kicked around Akron for a little bit in my own apartment and working in what is the hip strip of, of Akron. Uh, yeah, Trying to cool. imagine what that would be. It's cool. It's <laughs> it's called Highland Square, and it has a, a theater similar to the Roxy and okay. a record shop and yeah. a gay-owned coffee shop, the first one in town, and I was their first employee. And It was a super fun little area. And then uh, my babysitter from when I was a kid 
was a seasonal park ranger in Yellowstone National Park. Interesting, yeah. And she, for years, would come home with slides. Not, you know, this was before. Back in the day. You had a camera yeah. in your pocket all the time. And she would come back with slides of the park and say, hey, you guys, I have two brothers. You guys should come out and, and check this out. And my youngest brother filled out his application. And I don't know if you've ever filled out an application for a government job. Yeah, it's not uh, super quick. Enterprise. No, no, it's a pretty involved process. And he messed up his application and said, I don't care. I'm going to the park anyway. And he got a job at Yellowstone Park Service Stations, which okay. is owned by Conoco. They do good things for the environment occasionally. And uh, he just loved it. And that was in 96, I think he went out. And so I decided I was going to go out to Yellowstone in 97. And I filled out the application but instead of turning it in I faxed it to my babysitter her name is Tammy and Tammy said you filled out page 30 wrong or whatever page it was sure and told me what I needed to fix so I fixed it and then I mailed it the way I was supposed to and was selected as a VUA visitor use assistant okay and that was at the south entrance of Yellowstone it's you know right by the Grand Tetons mm-hmm and I was there for two seasons, and fantastic. Tetons in the backyard, Snake River in the front yard. Access to incredible backcountry that many people don't see. Yeah. And on my days off, I'd volunteer and clear trail and patrol with one of the other on-duty rangers. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, and hard I'd to go never, wrong there. never camped in my life before. That's a long way from Akron. Way long way from Akron. Yeah. So wow. that, that introduced me to the West. Yep. I ended up in Mammoth Hot Springs, was a ranger naturalist there, okay, telling the stories of the geology and the history of the park and all that kind of stuff and telling people to keep away from the elk. And then ended up in Gardner for a while and moved to Bozeman for a hot minute. And that mm-hmm. town is great for a lot of reasons. I'm a big fan of walking and biking a lot of places, and it's not yeah. set up for that. right. At all, especially if I had to live, because I couldn't afford to live in Bozeman, I had to live in Belgrade. And so I ended up uh, meeting a girl online, and this is way before... This is like the formative time of meeting people online, Yeah, this is way before Tinder existed. there There a story there? There was no Facebook. I can't remember what what service it was. Yeah. But she, uh, she came down to Bozeman. I'd come up to Missoula on the weekends. We'd swap back and forth and she said you should move to missoula and and be with me and i said yeah okay but she says i need a break i need just a few months to just tie up some loose ends and gather my thoughts and i'll see you in june i said great so i moved here and i got my own place just in case yep and went to lunch at flippers and i'm sitting there eating a burger and and she walks and she says what are you doing here and i said uh we talked about this, didn't we? She said, I guess we might have, but uh, I'm moving to Helena. Next, oh, gosh. Next week. Next and week. Like, well, why is that? Well, I'm moving up there with Ben. I'm like, who the hell is Ben? Oh, man. So, New characters yeah, in the so, story. Yeah, so she moves to Helena with Ben and uh, haven't heard from her much since then. <laughs> much? Isn't <laughs> uh, that all? Yeah. Well, occasionally. And so... Then I kicked around Missoula for a while. Yeah, that working. got you here. Yeah, that got me here, and I'm grateful for that. You know, heartbreak for a while, and dated around a little bit, and got a couple different jobs working in the IT industry, doing mm-hmm. some QA work, software testing, and then worked in the service department at uh, a, a holding company for a bank. Right. And got really depressed doing that work. Um it's isolating. It's lonely. Even though you're working in a room full of people. Yeah, cubicles. Awful. Fluorescent lights. Yeah, but yeah. in the meantime, between all that stuff, uh, I met my wife. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw her, she was taking her motorcycle helmet off at Charlie's, and all this long, <laughs> flowing. It's like summer afternoon, beautiful day, long, flowing brown hair, all over her leather jacket. And I walk up. It's like, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon. Sure. Can I buy you a drink? She says, oh, I got one. On the motorcycle. And, no, <laughs> it's at the bar, okay. you know. And off she walks. And and so I ran into her a few months later and asked her, 
if I could buy her a drink. And she said, no, I don't think so, but I'll talk to you. And There's a start. You're in I a asked bit. her out, and she says, no. And every year I asked her out on a date once a year. Wow. And she would either say no or maybe or yes and stand me up. <laughs> um, or let's talk about it. And I would go to where she worked and talk about it the next day. And we were both, you know, wrecked from the night before. Yep. And she's like, why are you here? And so I kept I kept after it, and I had an art show at Noteworthy when okay. it was downtown. Your own art? My art. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I've got this theme, right, in my life. Um, I wanted to make art of honoring, I love you, and I never want to be without you, and I hate you, and I never want to see you again. Mm. Both honest feelings that should be acknowledged in the same space. Yep. So I took old love letters and breakup emails and took just snippets of each one of them and made them into these collage with oh wow rusty metal and sure. broken glass and yeah and, just like gritty stuff yeah raw and she came to that show and was like huh maybe there's something to this Man, guy this guy's got some depth yeah so we went uh she called me and i said uh, i'm doing the same series again but the next time i need nude photos okay and i heard that she you're a model she's a figure study model for patty canyon ladies drawing group okay and so i said yeah joyce uh, i need a model and joyce says what does that mean and i said well uh i'm gonna i'm gonna be including nude photos in this next iteration of this show the show was called the leaving and the left and she said, I'll do it if I can have a piece of your art. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm I'm trying to sort of like a little investigative here. So is this is the premise of the show a priori or are you the sort of are still strategizing your way in? No, the premise of the show was absolutely okay. a priority. Got it. And I needed I needed to make that work. I needed to finish it. And she agreed to come over to my apartment and let me take her clothes off and take photographs of her and uh -huh. I did that in an utmost professional way. Sure. And dropped her off at her house and went on a date with my then girlfriend and started planting seeds for that breakup, hopefully, <laughs> you know. And uh, she and I went, she called me after I showed her all the photos and she picked out the ones she liked that I could use. And then she called me later that night, and this is like a week later. Do you want to go out for dinner, she says. I said, uh, yeah, Joyce, I've been asking you to dinner for four years. And it was a Sunday, and then uh, there weren't very many locally owned restaurants right. open on a Sunday. So we ended up having dinner at the Shack. Okay. And that was the only place that was open. It was fine. Um, and... We parted ways, and the next day we went on another date and walked on the Kim Williams Trail, and and here we are, eight years later, nine years later, I guess. And yeah, it's been great living oh. with her on the North Side for the last nine years, and got married, and all that good stuff. Awesome, so, classic sort of non-linear love story. Yeah, which is which the best ones are, I yeah. think. Um, so we can quickly tell that Mark is enamored of story, and not only does he like story, he, he's superb at telling story. So let's fast forward a bit to the the sort of genesis of the tell us something uh, idea. Yeah. And then the, the, how did you make it come to life? Well, I was at the Peace Farm up up Duncan Drive yep. there. Yep, know it well. It was a summer night. It was August. Um, sun was setting, beautiful, you know, quintessential Missoula, mm -hmm. awesome day. And I was sitting on a hay bale with about a hundred other people all when we all weren't on the same hay bale. Just but, like one of the garden party nights or something? Yeah, but it was live storytelling. Oh, okay. And it was put on by Josh Schlotnick, who was running the Peace Farm at the time, mm -hmm. and Jeremy N. Smith. And it was called Eat Our Words. Okay. And there were a variety of different storytellers, and one of them was Caroline Keys, uh, of Caroline Keys and the Lane Splitters. She also was in Broken Valley Roadshow. She's fantastic author and writer and poetry teacher and just all around great person, but I didn't know any of that. Sure. I just knew her from around. And she's 
had just come back from being on tour with the Broken Valley Roadshow in China. Wow. And if you don't know, the Broken Valley Roadshow is a bluegrass band that's now a sort of defunct, I guess, with uh, Little Smokey sort of picking up the slack there. Some pieces. Awesome. Awesome band. Anyway, uh, Caroline was telling us that she can't hear a song that she knows and not sing the words. And that's the setup for the story. And then she talks about being on tour in China and what that was like and sure. language barrier issues. And then she wants uh, wants to go to bed. It's you know they've been up all night long. It's time to go home, and she wants to just get a couple hours of sleep before the plane. And there's a knock on the door, and it's all of her Chinese friends who don't speak English. Okay, they've been connecting with music, and there's like. 15 or 20 of them in the hallway of the hotel room and they sing country roads take me home which she has already told us is her least favorite song in fact she used the word hate she hates that song but she has to sing it because she knows the words right was the first time she never sang it oh she never sang along with the song that she knew and she got done saying that and tears are streaming down her face and she says i wonder if you guys would sing to me in the whole Peace Farm is like choking back tears and yeah. breaks into song. And they and we sang, you know, what we knew of that song. And it was like, what just happened? Yeah, like, magic. Amazing. And so that's when I fell in love with personal storytelling. And I, and I believed from that moment that it can be transformative uh-huh. for the teller and the listener. And that's been my experience every time I've been in a, a live storytelling setting and so this event you know was happening up at the peace farm in some iteration and 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 then did it sort of did you take it over or no, did it sort so, of just so morph into what you're doing our words happened twice that i can remember okay and then a guy who worked at the Pavarello and was a, a liberal leaning blogger who had a big twitter following so now that sort of sets the time frame yep um he decided that he wanted to do a live storytelling event in Missoula and he wanted to you know, get as many people there as he could. And so he used a well-known storytelling name, but threw the word Missoula onto it uh, to try to you know, ride their coattails without their permission. Okay. Missoula Moth. Yes. Okay. Got it. Which is ironic because we're going to talk a little bit about the moth coming back through town yeah, recently. It was cool. So... He does the Missoula Moth. Uh, it's at the Badlander, hmm. which is a great music venue. I don't know that it's an awesome venue for spoken word stuff. Yeah. Because of the sight lines mainly. And, I mean, I, I have a lot of love for that building and the Ritz, which was, the, you know, the name of that bar when I got to town. And it was one of the best places to see music. But anyway, uh, no theme, no time limit. No vetting of storytellers. Just kind of open mic night, basically. It felt a little bit like open mic night, but um, stories went on for 20 minutes sometimes. Oh, yeah. And the one that sticks out for me is the Amsterdam story. I, I, I went to Amsterdam. It was awesome. And I have no story arc and no details as to why it was awesome. But I'm going to tell you that it was awesome for 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. Brutal. It was just like, come on. And then Well and yeah, I mean it's brutal on it's tough for the listener, the listener. But tough for the storyteller too, because you probably probably felt he or she probably felt passionate about this this Amsterdam story. There's probably a great arc and story to be told there, but just no real kind of structured approach to it. Right. And so, you know, watching those sorts of failures yeah. not on her part or you know, just sure. like it was people Circumstance. Were getting up there and doing their thing and it was cool that they had the guts to do it. Yep. Uh, but they didn't. They weren't given any sort of guidance, and that happened January, February, March, and April of 2011. Okay. And then Patrick moved to Bozeman, and it fell apart. You mm-hmm. know, we were sitting around. Me and I was a storyteller in January, February, and March. I think I was out of town in April. Okay, so you told your story I at told, Badlander. You participated. The first this time I told a story, I didn't think I had one. Yeah, I didn't believe that. I had a story to share or that any of my stories were worth hearing. Uh-huh. And so I told a story that I knew I was trying to push my boundaries. And I, and I thought, 
I've never done anything like this, so I want to try it. Sure. And I, so I told a story that I was super familiar with uh, that I had heard my whole life, which is the story of how my parents met. Mm-hmm. And that involves my dad and mom both working at our library. He is the one who sorts the books. She's the one who works the front desk. And she lies to him about her name. She says her name is Cleo. He doesn't have the guts to ask for her phone number. He asks instead for her last name. She says it's Patra. He goes oh, home geez. and looks up Cleopatra in the phone book and then realizes he's been, he's been had. Yeah. So I tell that story, <laughs> but I tell it in the first person as if I was my father. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then that experience was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Sure. And I have stories. And so then the following month I told a story and then the month after that I told a story and then I was heartbroken that I couldn't do it the fourth time. And then I remember uh, later sitting around drinking beers with some of the other tellers, uh, university professor, a journalist, an author, and we were just saying how awesome that event was. Yeah. We should keep it going. And I've never organized anything. And so I was like looking to them to pick up the slack and I would just help hang flyers or you know something simple. Sure. Nobody picked up the ball. And so it sort of fell apart. And then in September of that year, the Missoula Art Museum called Patrick and said, hey, can you do the Missoula Moth at the Art Museum for part of our teeny night? Patrick said, I don't live in your yeah, town. Yeah, he's moved on. Yeah, and he said, Mark really likes this. You should call Mark. Okay. And I thought, well, it's now or never. Like, I got to do something. Yeah, here's if your this chance. Is, this, I've never done anything this big before, and I know that I don't want it to be a one-off and I also know that if, if I keep this name, I'm going to build something and then eventually get discovered and have to buy the, buy the moth and then have to change the name. Yeah, that would eventually be a problem. Yeah, and so I wanted to get that out of the way. So yeah. the website crashed through no fault of my own. Nick Schantz was the webmaster at the time. Okay. And he was like... Geoflies? Yeah, geoflies. Yep. And he says, dude, I don't have time or energy to fix this. Here are the login credentials. You can do it. And I, it was a CMS that I didn't understand, I'd never used. And so I went to work. And, <laughs> and in rebuilding it, I linked to the moth.org. And within a couple of days of the website going live, I got an email from John Firestone, who was the executive director at the time. Sure. And then, then I got a phone call from her. And I was like, New York number, what, who is this? And it, well, I let it go to voicemail. And she was. She didn't say anything except, "I would. I need to talk to you. Please call me." And she felt, you know, it felt sort of urgent. Yeah, urgency in her voice. And I'd never talked to anybody with that kind of authority or before on mm-hmm. the phone or even in person. Like who was mad at me, or I thought probably was mad at me. You yeah. Know? And so. <clears throat> So not without some nerves that you're making this return phone call. At the time, I smoked cigarettes, and I probably smoked a half a box of smokes while I was yeah. on the phone in, in 15 minutes Wow, with her. Yeah, I was crazy nervous. And, you know, she says, well, um, you can't use that name. I appreciate that you want to do storytelling in your town, but you got to use a different name. And I said, well, then you should send me a cease and desist letter. She said, we're a nonprofit. You're going to make us get attorneys? I was like, if, if you're a nonprofit, you probably have attorneys on call. Like, you're a nonprofit of that size? Yeah. Send me the letter, please. She did. And she said, you have to go all around your city and take down all those flyers. And I was like, are you going to send somebody out here to make sure I do that? Because the event's in two weeks, and I'm not taking down the flyers because that's too confusing for people. I'll change the name at the event. Announce it. Be public. Yep. Transparent. And so it was December 2011 we started, and at the Missoula Moth, my first and last Missoula Moth, Tell Us Something was born. Yeah. And I wanted the name to feel inviting. I wanted it to make the storyteller feel like there was a conversation going on, mm-hmm. not just someone getting up there and reading from a notebook or whatever. I wanted it to feel like a dialogue. And I wanted there to be some intimacy and give and take between the storyteller and the listener. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. And that's why the name was chosen. Yeah. And 
That's I a hope, great name. I, I mean, hope it that, hits all those you know, notes that you that's just described. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so you start out. Where were your Where were your first events happening? The first one was at the Missoula Art Museum. And okay, then, that's right. And then my friend Greta Gar, uh, her dad had just died, and she and her sister took over the top hat. Yep. Okay. So you landed at the top hat for a yep. while. And I called her and I said, Hey, what's the slowest night? And she said, Well, Tuesday. I said, We're gonna fill your bar and sell some drinks on Tuesday night. Yeah. Good pitch right there. Yeah, that yeah. Was tight. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> that was before I knew anything about pitching anything. Yeah, so for the <laughs> listener, Mark uh, was so generous with his time and participated in, in a class we just taught here for MBA students on pitching. So that one was exceptional. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't even think of it in those terms, but that's, you know, that's what I was doing. Yeah. And, and she was like, that's great. I mean, even if we don't sell any drinks, it's okay. Sure. Like, I'd love to have you at our place. And so, and we walked and- at the time, it was just me cajoling and twisting the arms of my friends sure. and saying, like, please, Get people to tell their please do this. And I didn't have a coaching service at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just trusting them to, to do it and to do a good job because I had heard some of the stories before and some of them I hadn't heard, but it was like, okay, I, I trust you. We're going to make sure the audience is listening. Sure. And let's see what happens. And they pulled it off, and I'm grateful for that. And then eventually, it grew to the point where we're getting 20 people calling the pitch line yeah. for eight slots. Right. So, And that's what I thought was going to happen at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I was, Here's this cool idea, and everyone was just going to pound down the door. And Yeah, but that these didn't things happen. take time. And yeah, but I didn't know that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you have high hopes right from the beginning and, right. and ambition and all that, but... You know, to get to the point where, like, people are competing, essentially, to get on stage and tell their stories, that that's pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. And, you know, I want to make sure that people don't feel bad if they don't get selected because it's not a judgment. It's a curation. Yeah. And it's, you know, what's resonating for me and my advisory board at the time. And the theme. I mean, yeah, somebody got a absolutely. great story that doesn't fit the theme. Sure. And I've had... um individuals pitch essentially the same story for years and and i've had them tell it and it's like but yeah but this is a different version of it i was like yeah it's a different time and place but it's essentially the same story yeah it's the first time you got high or the first time you got caught with drugs coming across the border like how many times are you going to try to tell that same (laughs) story no you're not you're not selected this time what do you mean we're buddies yeah i'm sorry so, I mean, I have to tell people that yeah, I know. you make hard choices. No. And I call everybody. Everybody who pitches gets a phone call from me that says, got your pitch. Deadline is whatever the day is. I'll call you back after that and let sure. you know. And Because I think it's chicken to hide behind an email mm-hmm. to say, you didn't make it, and then not answer the email that comes back. We regret to inform you. Come on. Oh, no. It actually starts positive, typically. There were many great submissions. Something like we that. We were overwhelmed with a with response. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had to make hard choices. Anyway, you know how these things are written. The second you read the first word and you know you've been right. axed. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm not, I, not that I I'm speaking them. from any kind of personal experience No, here. it doesn't sound like it at all. Not scarred no. deeply. Anyway, uh, th- but this is about you today, Mark, so let's... I'm happy to listen to your story. <laughs> I haven't had the courage to pitch one yet. Oh, you should. What are the chances is the next one? I know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Okay. He's not letting me off the hook, folks. No. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Okay. So, okay. So you're at the top hat. You're sort of filling your pitch line. You're filling the seats. At some point, Nick Chakota kind of takes over that organization and and decides it's time for you to step up to the Wilma. Yeah. So the top hat was closed for remodel, and I, I held an event at Monk's and realized, like, how grateful I am. That the top hat is there. Yeah. Monks is great for a lot of things. It's not great for live storytelling. And so Nick invited me back at, after the remodel. I remember the first time I did sound check after the remodel. People were eating dinner. And, and I got up on the mic, and I didn't even have headphones on. Sure. And I said, uh, sound check, pickle juice, pickle juice. Holy crap. I think I might have even said something else. Something a little bit more illicit. And uh, and it wasn't 
intentional. It just because the sound was so good. Yeah, they nailed the renovation. They crushed it in there. It's so beautiful, and uh, and so people were arriving. You know, initially we weren't charging a door, we had a cover. Sure. And people were arriving at three o'clock for a six o'clock show, and Nick said, "You know, you need to start charging." And so I did, and nobody blinked. And then he bought and remodeled the Wilma and said, "It's time." To put your big big boy pants on, yeah, and it's it's time for you to step it up and let's go, let's go fill the Wilma. And I was terrified. I didn't think we could fill it. Number one, yeah. Number two, and most importantly, I didn't think that we would be able to maintain that level of intimacy mm-hmm. in a room that big. Yeah, I mean, those are two reasonable risks. Like, can you fill the seats, and then will it feel the same? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and I feel grateful that it does feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people tell me, you know, I sit in the balcony and I feel like I'm in somebody's living room, a very big living room, but I do feel a connection with the storyteller. Like sometimes I'm laughing so hard I pee my pants and I'm crying so hard that I I don't want to have anybody look at my face. Right, right. So, and so how many years has it been at the Wilma now? I think the first show at the Wilma was in... December of 2016. Okay. Okay. And so the ones that I've been to have just been breathtaking in terms of the energy of the crowd, how into the storytellers there are, the range of characters that are telling their stories, and the quality of those stories. So you spoke a little bit about your selection process. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you think makes for a good story. What's the structure? What's the style? Um, what are the themes that you sort of look for? Well, the biggest thing that I that grabs me is a storyteller who is super engaged and passionate about the story that they're telling. Yep. Um, it could it could not have a story arc. It could not be clear what's going to happen. But if they're super engaged and it and it sounds like they're coachable, that's certainly something that I'm paying attention to. Interesting. So you can kind of detect coachability in the well, uh, pitch, if, perhaps? if somebody's reading from a piece of paper, yeah. uh, the likelihood that they're coachable is lower. And I'm not talking about, I'm going to shape your story for you, Yeah, which is what the moth does. I want your voice to be able to come out. But often if, if I engage with somebody who's written something down, what they're trying to do is remember what they wrote. Mm. instead of being open to change. And I'm not the only one doing the coaching at the workshop. It's a it's a sort of peer coaching sure. situation that I just guide. So I'm looking for people that, stories that haven't been told on the Telesumming stage before. Okay. Um, I'm looking for a wide variety of populations. So race, uh, religious, um, Health, like uh, I don't want it to turn into all of the stories are about this me overcoming some disease as the storyteller or whatever. Right, but that's but that's, that's happening. That's a big, I mean, that's big part of humanity. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. And so, diversity uh, as much as possible. Uh, yeah, which you know you you probably think about that with regard to not only storytellers but the stories themselves and the characters represented in those stories. I would think. Yeah, and of course in Missoula we got a lot of travel stories and a lot of outdoor stories and I think that's fantastic Um, you know one of the things that I want to avoid and I do that by the two big rules is I want to avoid any sort of slander Mm -hmm. or um, calling out on stage or anything like that so the big rules are no hate speech and no calls to action so that's selling yeah I can't sell your stuff can't sell your stuff or your ideas, and that could be religious or political or whatever. Of course. And that doesn't, I like people don't always stick to that. But I set the intention, and I give them those, those rules, and, and then I trust them. Yeah. Because there's nothing I can do once they, once they go in front of that curtain. Right. And I've had people say... You know, when they're on the mic. And then, you know, our fundraiser is this week and, and the number to call is whatever. Right, right. Like, Here's my Kickstarter. Hang on a second. Yeah. I already told you not to do that. And and now I have to call you out on it. And you're a prominent member of this community. And now I have to say to you privately, like, why did you do that? Yeah. 
So that's not comfortable. No, not at all. But the yeah. audience is trusting me to give them a safe space to listen and right. not have them. Not be sold stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's a compact. Yeah. It has to be respected. Right. Okay. So back to the components of a good story. We got passion. We got coachability. Beginning, middle, and end. Right. Some People structure. need to have that. And, you know, the, in our, in, your class. Yeah, the five beats. The, there are five beats of a story where, you know, we can have the characters at the beginning. There's a setup. We know uh, that there's something to lose or gain. And there's conflict. Mm-hmm. And the person either loses or gains that thing throughout the course, course of the story. And it's, that's it. That's pretty simple. And, you know, we talked about uh, the person falling in a hole story. And that's person's going along everything's fine and all of a sudden some terrible thing happens and then he has to or she has to solve that problem right hit rock bottom turning point right and then the rise very most common type of story and the cinderella story being the opposite where everything's terrible and then they have you know short rises and then everything's awesome that one's harder to tell Mm -hmm. but the most common one i see is the first kind okay yep yeah, and so these are some kind of structures that, narrative structures that we're kind of accustomed to hearing. So right. it's sort of the, the structure of the story itself kind of puts you at ease. You're not, you're not sort of, um, your, your flight response isn't necessarily activated at a subconscious level. You're just sort of at ease and you're, you're open to the narrative. Right. Right. But it's also fun when somebody takes that structure and turns it on its head. Sure, yeah, playing with it is... is... And like one of my favorite ones, this person, his name is Ben Weiss. Okay. Super linear guy. Very analytical. And uh, I think the story, the theme was busted. And he came over to, like, he couldn't make the workshop, so he came over to my house for a one-on-one, and we sat around the fire drinking beers and sort of working through his story. Uh He told a very linear story about a birthday party that lasted until the early hours of the morning, hungover, drunk, still maybe, finding birth control pills and taking them. Oh, geez. All of them. Okay, interesting. And then going to uh, visit his mother-in-law and go crabbing. Okay. And that that was the... Linear, yeah, right, right, yeah. And I suggested let's you know, let's start maybe uh, at the crabbing. Scene. At the crabbing. And he tried that, and it, this I haven't gone back and listened to the story recently, so I may be getting some of the details wrong. But it was so much funnier. Yeah. And <laughs> he was like, "I never would have thought to try that," and it was one of my favorite stories. So you have this process you know you, you, you initially vet the storytellers through the pitch process right. then you have a selection process some coaching workshops till you get them to stage i mean talk about that evening like those people there has to be quite a range of emotions backstage like Most... people terrified people excited yeah. and everything in between so the storytellers sit in the audience okay so there's no green room and they're not hanging out backstage. Yep. So there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is so that the storytellers can sort of feel the energy of the sure. audience yeah, as yeah. the night's progressing. And also so that audience members can just be engaged in what's going on on the stage. And then all of a sudden they turn and see that their neighbor is getting up. Yeah, he's one of walk. us. She's one of us. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. It's so cool. And so, you know, we talk about in the workshop ways to overcome nervousness and ways to calm down and things like that. And everybody, almost all of the storytellers beforehand come backstage to see, like get the lay of the land and look to see where they're going to be and how to get around yeah, back there. Just and it the just basic sort of familiarity. calms them down. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then they go out there. And they, yeah, and they go out there and they open their hearts and bear their souls. And, and so, what a joy for you to see that happen. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm just overcome with gratitude because yeah. that people trust me enough to to come to the event and also share themselves and in such intimate ways. And so now you're trying to expand the uh, the enterprise a little bit. You got a show 
Uh, probably at the time we re- released this, it will have just have happened up in Helena. Yeah. And have, you've taken it at a couple other locations, is that right? Been to Helena for the past two years. Okay. At a small venue uh, that's a remodeled funeral home. Okay, it's interesting. Pretty awesome. Yeah. It's uh, it's like a chapel. The chapel of the funeral home is where the events take place. It's a place called Free Ceramics. And this has got to be the sort of event that you know, kind of takes a community a while to figure out, yeah. right? I mean, it took you a while to kind of get traction here uh, in an under, not so much from a customer standpoint, but more so, I think, from just like a cultural standpoint. Like, what is this about? Right. Why would I want and to participate? You, and what are you doing in my town? Yeah, there's a little bit of that, yeah. too. Are you trying to sell us something? Right. And, you know, wh- what do you want me to do? And so I've I've had to do a lot more recruiting yeah. in in other towns. And so I've been to Helena for the past two years in a venue of, of about 150 people. And okay. Last year we we sort of hit capacity there. Mm-hmm. So this year we're booked, booked the Myrna Loy, mm. which is a capacity of 300. Yeah, quite a bit bigger. Quite a bit bigger. And we were in Butte in November for the very first time. Okay. And that was in a room of 300 as well. Um, the room is not set up for spoken word, and I didn't figure that out until afterwards, listening to the recording. In a live environment, reverberation and echoing isn't very noticeable to the listener. Right. On a recording, it's very, very noticeable. Sure, and that's a problem because you're subsequently putting this content out as a podcast. I know the the live event comes first, but the podcast is part of the, the yeah. platform at this point. Yeah, and you know that was that was a big learning curve for me being in a new room like that. Yep. And initially I was just really upset and I was blaming everybody but myself, but it, it really it's my fault that sure. I didn't do my due diligence. And but I can't l- release that as the podcast. Right. Because right. if somebody comes along who doesn't know anything about us and that's the first time they listen, that's their they're not coming point. back. Yeah. Yeah. So, I came to peace with all of that and I still think that the story should be available to people. So I'm pushing, and this is actually happening in the last three days. Okay. I've been, I've figured out the decision happened, you know, a month ago, but I just started working on it. Um, the solution, which is, um, I'm going to burn CDs for the storytellers. Okay. Because they're all not tech people and they don't know what podcasts are. And, mm-hmm. You know, they don't know how to stream things and all of that's fine. But they deserve to have their story available. And so the big challenge that I've had is I can't burn CD and audio CD. iTunes is failing. I mean, it burns and it plays in my oh, car. Geez. It plays in my car and it plays on my yeah, computer. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I burned a CD. So, yeah, I mean, does the technology even exist? It plays in my car and in the computer, but it won't play in a, in a standard CD player. Sure. Like hooked up to your stereo. Yeah. So I've tried it with iTunes. I've tried it with Audacity, yep. the Adobe product. I've tried it with Neo, Nero, and and it's Nero is getting me closer. Um, not every CD works, so I'll burn five oh, CDs geez. and only three yep. of them work. Yeah. So all of that's going on. I've got I need ten CDs and I've got seven, and I've got a stack <laughs> of I don't know three inches. How of many did it take to get failed. seven? Yeah, but for the rest of us. Um, I'm gonna put them on SoundCloud. Okay. After Super. I've after I've sold this, after I have uh, sent the stories, the CDs to the storytellers, and then that was an that was another challenge because I haven't logged on to SoundCloud in I don't know since 2016. Yep. And I can't remember my password, and so like with to the new password reset, and we don't recognize that email oh, address. Oh gosh. Yeah. So come to find out that the email address that's associated with my SoundCloud account doesn't exist anymore. So I had to go through support, and they gave me a number that they wanted me to put in the about section of my social media accounts okay. to prove who I am. Wow! And so I did. I mean, this is crazy. This was, is the story. It Jeez, was amazing. Lee, like, what you're a great, a pro. what a great solution that they came up with. Yeah. Please believe me. Like that was that was my thing. This is I am who I say. And I'm, like, I'm no, not, of course not. I'm not a bot. Yeah, of course they're not going to believe that. And so yeah. they gave me. A way to solve the problem, which was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So now you get the content on SoundCloud. And it will be. Um, it will I be. just, yeah, I just got the account unlocked today okay. and associated with the correct email Crack address. Correct codes, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Well done. So that'll be up hopefully by the end of the week. So 
What, what, I mean, what's next for this thing? You're trying to expand out to some other uh, locations. You're doing this thing quarterly here, kind of at capacity in Missoula. Yeah. You've also got a budding kind of storytelling workshop, coaching, teaching practice. You yeah. want to talk a little bit about that um, part of your portfolio? Sure. So I've been guest teaching and like I taught in your class. Absolutely. And that was yeah. awesome. Super fun. So fun. And I've never had 15 hours of, you know, immediate classroom i need to stay in the room like i did with you and that was intense those are intense weekends and really this class intense. in particular is, is particularly emotionally engaging yeah. yeah so that was great yeah so now you've got this budding coaching workshop practice you're, you're sort of sharing your expertise and knowledge all over town yeah it's been a lot of fun the first one i did actually was last year okay in a corporate setting uh, Dina Messour, is that how you yeah, say her last name? Yeah, director of the Mansfield Center. Yeah, she called and asked me if I would come and talk to her class that she brings in every year. Awesome. Um, I think there were 30 high school teachers from around the world. Wow. And she wanted me to do a little bit of coaching, but also talk about using story in the classroom because mm -hmm. I, I teach through Spark uh, in the middle schools. I teach storytelling oh, in, the, in the Missoula County public yeah. school system. and. We can talk about that if you want to, but um, she said, you know, we've got all these teachers coming in from all over the world, and I think it would be cool to talk about stories in the classroom. And the first thing I said was, you know, you have to also be able to share your own story if you want your kids to do it, and you got to be vulnerable in, in front of them. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, what does that mean? Yeah. So we broke up into groups and, you know, gave them a little bit of story structure and how that all works and stuff, and... And then after that, one sort of like we did here in your class, one person in the group was nominated by the group to share their story in front of the in front of the, in front of the class. Mm -hmm. And of those people, Dina and her people, uh, her team, selected one to share a story at Tell Us Something. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and this woman's name was Nerma, and she is from Montenegro which is formerly Yugoslavia. Yep. And she shared a story of being the first one of the group to arrive in Missoula and at night. And so she had no, she was like, oh my this, gosh. Town yeah. is, this town is abandoned. Was this like, sure. is this a zombie movie? What's happening here? <laughs> and it was, it was scary, you know, at first. And then beautiful, loving community, accepting a, a stranger and, it was super heartwarming, and what I heard later was that that group was the tightest group she's ever worked with, okay. and she attributes it to the story coaching. Yeah. So that was great. That's got to be reassuring, reaffirming. Yeah, I did something right. Yeah. And so then I sort of soft launched, you know, word of mouth. People said, hey, I heard you do this coaching thing. Uh-huh. Um, I'd like to have you come talk to my, my team, and... So yeah, I'm doing a little bit of corporate workshops. Yep. And there's pricing for that and there's pricing for nonprofits and then we also have one-on-one -on -one workshops available too for just somebody who maybe they're getting ready for a job interview or maybe they're maybe they have a story to tell, maybe they're getting ready for a TED talk, who knows, but I can help. Yeah, everybody needs an elevator pitch. I mean, yeah. you just got to you got to be ready to seize the moment when that when that moment arrives. Right. And a lot of that coaching, at least in the beginning, is just asking, listening, yeah, listening, and asking the right questions. Sure. So the next event is what are the chances coming up? Is it June twelfth? June twelfth at the Wilma. June twelfth. Get your tickets in advance, folks. These things sell out. Probably hard to get tickets at the door. Um, so yeah, get them. At, you can get them through your website. Tell us something. Tell us something. Org. There's a link to the ticketing site. You can get them at the Top Hat Lounge box office. They have them available at Rock and Rudy's as well. Uh, that's June 12th at, at the Wilma. What are the chances? We also, I think, by the time this comes out, we'll still be accepting pitches. Okay. Yeah. Um, We're I, like mid-May, so yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember off the top of my head what the pitch deadline is. Okay. So how do you do a pitch? Call 406-203-4683. You have three minutes to tell me the beginning, middle, and end of your story. Okay, so that's a pro tip there. Beginning, middle, and end. Like, put some structure to it. And, and in three minutes, you don't really have much time to do more than that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a fully developed story. 
don't use that three minutes to tell me any of your contact information. It's a Google Voice number. It records your phone number. Sure, yeah, you're being tracked. I will call you right back. And, uh, yeah, so you don't have to give me your email address or any of that. I call you back. I get your contact info if I need it from you on the phone. And then after the pitch expires, the pitch deadline expires, then I call you and say, hey, you're in or you're not. Okay. Well, Mark, super stoked about what you're doing, what it means for this community, what people are getting out of it. And uh, also really uh, appreciate, you know, the partnership we're kind of working on with getting you involved in our classes and coming on the pod. And yeah, just look forward to lots of cool stuff in the future. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. And and you're going to pitch, right, Justin? I will pitch. I don't know if it'll be for this one, but I will pitch. Okay. All right. Thanks, I'm going to hold you to it. (laughs) I'm sure you will. Thanks for having me on. Okay, super fun conversation with Mark. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Check out Tell Us Something. The next event is June 12th. Tickets available online. Okay, next week we bring you my conversation with Montana radio legend Brian Kahn. It's a good one, and I'm excited to bring it to you next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, part of the Michelle and Lauren Hansen Media Lab at the University of Montana College of Business. Remember that this podcast was supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you'd ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkel, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.